Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey everybody, Wizard and the Bruiser and Page 7 are going back on the road this summer. That's right, release the Butthole Cut Tour returns. Where are we going, Jake? Oh, you can find us in Salt Lake City, Denver, Las Vegas, Portland, Tacoma, Oklahoma City, Kansas City, and St. Louis, Missouri. LastPodcastNetwork.com for tickets. Go to LastPodcastNetwork.com for Page 7 and Wizard and the Bruiser present release the Butthole Cut Tour. I'm a horny boy that wants to bang his brother's girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's a horn in my head, and it's a computer. Oh, my world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ride the shooting star. Boom. A double, double, eh, eh. What were those last few lyrics? I didn't catch what that Sniper. was. Sniper. <laughs> Listen, I am singing the song of my people, which is half remembered gibberish, don't speak Japanese anime song. <laughs> the song of the Adult Swim tsunami weeb of the 2000s. And I'm a bruiser, Holden McNeely, and that's the wizard, Jake Young. And I don't even know how to do an intro for this show because it's fucking fully coolie, bro. This is... It is fully, but also, hear me out, coolie. Yep. It is chaos in a bottle. It is. No, it makes perfect sense. It is the most complete and sensible show. (laughs) Uh, All you have to do is watch it five times as I have. And even the title, Fooly, Foolishness, to be embarrassed, Mm. to be seen as uh, immature and and idiotic. Cooly, coolness, maturity, to be seen as like strong and in control. And the uh, transition between childhood to adulthood being a forever mishmash of foolishness and coolness, a fully coolie existence. It's all there, Holden. It's not even subtextual. It's all there. This is the most normal, coherent anime in the history of the world. And honestly, if you if all you thought was like, hey, man, isn't that crazy? Like Vespa robot horny horn boy. Like it's it's silly. No, man. No, man. I've seen through the looking glass. I understand it in its totality. Absolutely. I mean, I know you're in ways you're joking, but but it is very true. That is definitely the kind of show that seems just totally insane on a first viewing. And then with each viewing, it, it dials itself in more and more and more in terms of what the storyline 
storyline is and what what the character arcs are and all that good stuff. Uh, you know, it. I think it just throws the viewer off because they switch protagonists depending on the episode. Uh, I feel like mm-hmm. in a lot of ways they they they're constantly, obviously, structurally, stylistically, it is just all over the map. There's a whole fucking South Park reference scene. Oh, that's amazing! It's amazing, and it really is. Especially a time capsule for it came out in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And I definitely feel, and I think I caught wind of it more in the, in like maybe 03, 04, back when, because that's around when I got real big into anime in college, but it was still not too far from when it was released. And it really was like everything that was cool at the time, kind of in one an- a six episode anime show. Like there was mm-hmm. rock and roll music. There was horniness. There was South Park. There is, um, you know, the the giant, you know, monsters and the whole. I mean, it really it, Neon Genesis Evangelion is wrapped up mm-hmm. in it. Like everything that I feel like they, they just threw into one pot a bunch of stuff that felt just badass and cool at the time a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that as viewers around that time, I think there really is like. Fully Cooly is not unlike a catcher in the rye mm-hmm. in that you can watch it when you're younger and get one very different thing out of it. And then watching it at this age, mm-hmm. revisiting it now. I mean, I'm 40, you know, Jake's 67, I believe. He's really getting close. Just mentally <laughs> 11. <laughs> yeah, mentally 11, of course. And I took one backwards. of those brain age tests yeah. and they were like, man, you have an 11 year old's brain. <laughs> I was like, so you're saying I'm super healthy and smart. Right? <laughs> and yeah, it's a completely different experience now for sure. You know? Oh and- my God. The, yeah, the, I'm obviously we've talked about this era of adult swim before, where, like, I was up every night, like, every new episode of Aqua Teen, Harvey Birdman, and then Cowboy Bebop. It was a experience. It was eye-opening, uh, especially for someone that still loved cartoons, to be exposed to, like, the mix of experimental, kind of out-there, counterculture, American animation, followed by what really was, what most people are just going to agree was the golden age of Japanese animation when there was so much money and so much expertise, like all the techniques and knowledge that had been built up over the years, given in the hands of a newer generation that was like eager to kind of elevate the art form. So, you know, every episode of Fully Cooley would just leave me completely just like in awe sitting in my parents' rec room at the time. And I was just so completely shaken by it. And Watching it now, I get like all the references because uh-huh. my anime vocabulary has exposed. You know, just because whole... from doing this show, even yeah. I'm like, oh, that's Lupin the Third. Oh God, the Lupin the, the whole like green jacket, red jacket thing. Back in the day, I had no fucking clue what that was about, but it's just a very funny, sim- simple anime reference uh, in that episode. Uh, the the mythology, the deeper meaning of Eva. Even something as silly as when uh, Haruko uh, wears the bunny outfit and is riding the guitar and goes, Daikon 5. Like, that's gibberish if you don't know the history of Gainax. But if you have that knowledge, you uh, immediately have all the context you need. And you're like, oh, what a fun little reference. So the 
amount of anime in jokes really, I think, added to the uh, feeling of like confusion and like this is gone so crazy that a lot of fans had at the time. But it is definitely crazy and going out of its way to like throw you off your kind of anime patterns that you've like learned from watching a bunch of shonen and Dragon Ball Z uh-huh. and even like uh, romance stuff and uh they're referencing stuff from Gainax they're referencing stuff from the Gundam universe like all this stuff is there but it's also a visual just complete and total feast every single shot in this in these 6 episodes have some kind of unique setup some kind of unique layout or or just completely original uh, animation techniques where they're merging CG in a weird way. They're changing the character designs on the fly. They're playing with the frame rate. They're playing with the particle effects. They're doing all this cool shit. And it was because not only was this this labor of love and this kind of uh, just like, like you said, a big pot of everything that the creative staff wanted and loved about culture in general... But they also had like carte blanche to explore and play with all this new animation equipment that they had been building up. And it just the end result is so singularly special and so incredibly memorable. And yes, the horniness is there. Oh, my God. The horniness is there. You're going to see a lot of panty Finally shots. Finally, we talk about it, please. Yeah. I mean, there's so much young boy horniness that that is probably the stuff that holds up a little bit less on that on that older person viewing until I think maybe unless you kind of tap into like what it was like to be so mercilessly horny yes. that every moment of your waking day I mean how do we even get through middle school I, I, I there were some days I ended up stuck to the wall I mean it was just people were like well get him off get him off that wall and I'm not talking about just standing on the floor stuck to the wall I'm talking about like hereditary style like up in the ceiling you mm-hmm. know what i mean like spider-man yeah yeah know? yeah yeah just but with um boy jism is that what you're yeah saying? okay just just with my own <laughs> boy secretions listen nobody likes the bearded middle-aged <laughs> aging weed trying to justify otherwise uh just un uh, just just completely unforgivable underage sexuality in anime nobody likes that guy but if I may. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on. We need it, Jake. I need this from you no. right now. Bring it in. Just to defend it, you pervert. In a world where <laughs> horny anime can just be like, here's the hot uh, spring scene. Here's the fucking, like, uh, here you go, male gaze idiots. Here's some titties. Here's some asses. Like, ooh, boing a there is a level of mystery and embarrassment and confusion and silliness within how this show handles sexuality as this like humiliating mystery <laughs> where especially watching it at the time you are 100% there with uh Naota our protagonist where like it is powerful it is compelling but also terrifying and you don't exactly know what is going on that being said, you know, when we watched it with our Sunday study group, uh, go to patreon.com forward slash whizbrew and find out how you can join weekly uh, our, our lovely online gathering where we engage with uh, future topics uh, in a fun social setting. You know, I remember people going like, wait, why is this teenager kissing that boy? And I was like, well, you know, he's like 13 and she's like 15, you know, 
Like it's it's you, you remember what it's like. And like someone had to like correct me and be like, no, I checked. He's 12. She's 17. And I had to be like, oh, <laughs> so uh, my my blanket statement whenever this topic comes up is I am never, ever, ever, ever going to try and argue with someone who's mm. like, this makes me uncomfortable in a deeply profound way. And I would rather not engage with something that uh, does this with underage characters. I, you are completely free to do so. It is my like plead in the darkness that like, but when you're 12, like it is a, it resonated when I was a teenager, desperate for human touch, completely alone. Yeah. And like the female mystique, like the mystery of what it even means to be intimate with another person was so bizarre that women literally were like aliens that just like collided into your life and like played with your emotions. I mean, yeah, in ways that you didn't understand. He's telling a coming of age story, and he's telling a coming of age story. I mean, he's young too, right? Our creator Kazuya Surumaki. He's he's a young guy doing this and feeling all these things, especially back then. I think even more than now. And now I'm still kind of like low key fascinated by that time in my life, you know, when I talk a lot about middle school and what that was and and how difficult that was for me to transition from boy to man boy. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, you have to have weird horniness for sure. And then, you know, let's just say the art form of anime treats it even more in an interesting way. (laughs) Uh, Culturally, there's a difference there too, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, what do you think? So, what do you think? Uh, what is your overall? And then we can go, we'll get into the nitty gritty of the making of the show. But I'm very curious, especially for you, your overall impression revisiting it now. Like, what what is your perspective now? Your takeaway from this past week? Well, definitely rewatching it again this week. I absolutely fell in love with it all over again. Like they just literally. Don't make them like this no more. Just- yeah, they, it's just so singular. Mm-hmm. It's so one of one of a kind to the point where the sequel series that aired are odd. It, be, they're fine because they're of fine. how they're fine, but they're not. They're they're. That's how special yeah. the original was. That even though sequel series came out. At fully coolly, the OG is still this singular experience that just cannot be replicated you just cannot bottle it it's not it's just impossible to do that and cre- recreate it anew it, it it's it will always just be this six episode thing yeah i think just the the fact that it is near perfect in terms of just second by second keeping your attention delighting you visually giving you something to think about giving you moments of weird quiet contemplation as well as balls to the walls gonzo comedy as well as incredibly um, choreographed and like exciting action scenes. Um, The way that it plays with anime tropes where, uh, you know, uh, there's an entire segment where uh, our one episode where our hero finally begins to embrace his identity as the hero, as the courageous like mecha pilot that a Japanese culture has like always primed young boys to want to strive to be. And uh, instead of like, you know, Shinji and Evangelion kind of like uh, struggling with that and then embracing it, he just like gets humbled because he was never the pilot. He was the bullet. Uh He was never. He is like, you know, they're just playing with your expectations. It's it's so fucking good and compelling. 
there's a great quote by the director, uh, Kazuya Tsurumaki, uh, where uh, in an interview, someone asks, is there a particular reason why so many Gainax series features very anxious, unhappy young male protagonists with no parents? Uh-huh. And Kazuya says, yes, the directors at Gainax are all basically weak, insecure, bitter young men. Yeah. So are many anime fans. Many Japanese families, including my own, had workaholic fathers whose kids never got to see him. That influences the shows we created. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. Brutally honest. This guy's interesting. Really interesting. He's really like brutally honest. He's really funny. He's really offbeat. He's, he kind of is the show for sure. You, you're always surprised with the answers that he gives in interviews. It's always like very fun and and. Not very unlike a lot of the personalities I think we seem to tend to come into contact with when we talk about a mangaka or an anime studio or something Mm -hmm. like that. And hats off to you. I cannot believe this guy was uh, given this opportunity. I cannot believe that this even happened the way it happened. I mean, and it's so full of stuff that now I feel like is very standard in not just anime, but other types of media, you've got fourth wall breaking. You've got these like crazy beats where we pop into like a living manga, essentially, and, and go frame by frame in that way, in this really unique way. Just like a badass rock and roll track oh, as yeah. the opening and closing of the show and soundtrack. Like that was brand new at the time. It was all classical music back then. And now you can't watch a new anime uh, without hearing some kind of like badass rock, J-pop, rock and roll type song. The entire like Scott Pilgrim yeah. combo East-West aesthetic yes. where it is like relationship shoegaze mixed with anime action, yes. mixed with indie rock soundtracks. Like that entire vibe was definitely set off by the tsunami watching children uh, stuck in their rec rooms watching Fooly Cooly yes. on a uh, late night by themselves. Incredible how much of a influence, how much of a sea change six episodes can make. Mm. It really is astounding. I I know that's the kind of one of the most dumbfounding things about it is Fooly Cooly is this absolute like pillar in at least the history of anime as far as the West is concerned. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. That is another key angle is that it really is uh, this flagship series that really only lives on at like Hot Topic t-shirt racks and anime convention cosplays and AMVs and all this stuff where it really just 
is completely overshadowed by Evangelion, by Gunbuster, by uh, Gurren Lagann. Like, it is a footnote in Gainax's history. And because of the way it was brought to the West, because of the Adult Swim revolution that was happening, it just hit the exact right audience at the exact right time and is, like, forever immortalized as this totem of American weed culture on top of everything. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild, but it did have such an incredible impact. And it's always amazing to see that when it's literally just like six, 23 minute just bites of. But but man, is it densely packed Mm -hmm. at the same time to the point where even the newer shows, some of the criticism is like they take their time too much. There must be something happening constantly if it's if you're going to call it fully coolly. It's got to always it rarely is there a moment of peace and solace in that show on purpose. And it really does capture the chaos and the wildness of that transition from child to adult Mm -hmm. and everything that's going on inside of your mind and body emotionally and everything. It, It really does such a great job achieving that. It's just this absolute wonderful abstraction in that way. Uh, when it comes to kind of getting across what it's like to be at that phase in your life. While at the same time, I, as I was watching it this new time with all the perspective I have and connecting it more to Gynax and everything, it, it, to me it was like, at points I was like, this is almost like a deconstruction of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Mm-hmm. And and it, it it's like they are kind of connected in these very specific ways. You, you see it in the animation for sure. But you also can see it in story beats, especially that final episode. There are a bunch of nods to the series finale of Ninja's Evangelion, I believe in the second episode as well. It's constantly hearkening back to it because really, you know, it came right off the heels of it. And this was like the next big thing. And I think that the experience of working on that show with Hideaki Anno profoundly affected Kazuya Suramaki mm. in a many different ways, positive and negative, I think. And so it really was, it's such a comment on, it's like, I wonder where the comment begins and the just like, kind of just, I don't even want to say, I don't even know, like intense inspiration because there's a lot of one-to-ones you can find in the characters and stuff like that. It's like, is this him like making a comment on his experience in Angels Jesus, or is he just so unable to eject from that world? No, he's gone out of his way to say that like he is almost every episode uh, is commenting or reflecting on the uh, experiences working on various Gynax properties over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 fun, man. It's very up in itself. It's very meta. All that stuff. So it's definitely the kind of show that keeps on giving if you know more and more, as you said earlier, the references, the, the those sorts of insights. So let's get into it. The the making of Fully Cooley. We'll also talk about the sequel series and all that good stuff and more to come, which I didn't even realize that was a thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is apparently... Shoegaze. Yeah, Shoegaze. And what was the other one? Uh, grunge. grunge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the new series coming out. I had no idea that was even happening. It's one of those little whiz-brew surprises. Huh? <laughs> Fully Coley is an anime series created and directed by Kazuya Suramaki and written by Yoji Inokido. It is uh, produced by the Fully Coley Production Committee, which is a collection of folks from Gainax Co. Limited, Production IG, and King Records. 
Here's the premise in Kazuya's own words. It's, quote, full of nonsense. It's a boy meets girl story, but the boy gets run over and hit by her guitar. He said this about it, too. For me, it is about how it's okay to feel stupid. With Evangelion, there was this feeling that you had better be smart to understand it or even just to work on it. With Fully Cooley, I want to say that it's okay to feel stupid. Uh, let's get into the man. You know, you don't have a lot on this guy. At least I don't. Hopefully, maybe Jake's got found some some more. Mm, not especially. Yeah. All I know is he was born in a pretty and simple part of Japan, the city of Gosen, which is known for its tulips and hot hot springs, and that's about it. In his early 20s, he got his first couple of gigs doing key animation for anime shows on TV in the mid to late 80s. Uh, these were Galaxy High School and Maison Ikoku. And then, though he was relatively unknown, and I wish I had more on this, but something amazing happened to him at this time. He was hired by Hideaki Anno as an assistant director and became his protege, first working on the show Nadia, The Secret of Blue Water. And after that, he was in the perfect place and perfect time because Hideaki Anno was just about to unleash his masterpiece, Neon Genesis Evangelion, upon the world. And also, just as much as Fully Cooley is a companion show in a lot of ways to Neon Genesis Evangelion, this episode itself could be seen as a companion episode <laughs> to our episode on Neon Genesis Evangelion that we recorded all those years ago. Uh, we're not going to go as deep on the history of Gynax <laughs> as we do in that episode. Uh, we, we obviously aren't going to go as deep on Neon Genesis Evangelion as we did on that episode. If you're not super familiar, I'll just say Neon Genesis Evangelion was created by Hideaki Anno, this absolute super fan of giant mecha manga and anime who created this like incredible show about such things with angels coming to destroy the earth um, sent down by God and these giant machines piloted by kids mm -hmm. who are coming of age uh, are uh, are sent out to, to defend uh, our world against the next apocalypse. And in the middle of the show, Anno has a total like mental breakdown, depressive episode, and ends up working through it all in this show about giant mechas. Mm -hmm. And it is this combination of all these things create this unbelievable TV watching experience that, you know, over the years has been, you know, he's now done his rebuild movies and all this, and it's just become this legacy incredible show that that kind of changed things a lot for anime and really brought me in as a giant anime fan probably between that and cowboy bebop it's just this incredible moment in the history of anime and kazuya suramaki just happens to fucking be there for it in the perfect way i mean he's definitely there to help pick up the pieces like yeah. you know when he when ano like kind of falls off a cliff with his struggles in mental health it's Suramaki that kind of drags uh, Evangelion across the finish line before they can make the uh, end of Evangelion movie to kind of like really bring it home. Um, the, you know, the, I mean, the general story is here's this collective of uh, just genuine otaku. Like otaku culture has emerged from anime fandom in Japan and Gainax makes a name for itself doing these like short films to introduce uh, the Daikon festivals, they make a lot of OVAs that are, are like a big hit and they're becoming 
more and more popular. But there's also huge whips. Their uh, original movie, Royal Space Force, Wings of Honimise, I've never actually had to say it out loud, really doesn't do well. Uh, Nadia, The Secret of Blue Water was like this massive undertaking of an original show, also doesn't do well. The whole, you know, it's kind of a messy production company. It really is a bunch of like nerds that just really just care so much about making cool shit that the actual business of it has always evaded them. They've never been able to stick to production schedules well. They've never been able to like really work as a functioning business. And that'll get into uh, why the sequels ended up the way they were. But Neon Genesis Evangelion comes in and just completely changes their fortunes around the just... Everything from Rei Ayanami, uh, you know, love pillows to uh, little plastic uh, Eva build sets to just everything, you know, vocal CDs. It's just a complete total phenomenon. And they just get this massive influx of cash. Um, the uh, There actually is a follow up. Well, not a follow up, but like the series they work on after Evangelion, what was supposed to be. They're like kind of like, okay, now we'll take it easy because making Evangelion was such a fucking rush uh, is a slice of life kind of romance series called Kare Kano or Mm -hmm. His and Her Circumstances that Anno also worked on. And even that schedule fucked them over and gave Anno even more stress. And they kind of like fizzled out there at the end. Um, So they decided to kind of like uh, bring it back to the OVA, which is, you know, they did Appleseed, they did Gunbuster. These are, uh, you know, original video animations. These are bigger than a movie, but like not as grueling in terms of like over the top animation, but they have time to prep and they have time to just like release it on their own schedule. And they're allowed to make it kind of for weebs and like not have to deal with a mass audience as much. And Fully Cooley is like one of their first big productions and they've just invested in a bunch of cool, you know, CG computers and digital art uh, painting, cell paintings and all this cool stuff that they're eager to play with that they have to kind of master before they start using it in real production. So this one's like for the boy. This one's really for the boys. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of just a clearinghouse for them to just like play with ideas and uh, do interesting things more so than something that would have the pressures of a major TV or movie release. Yeah, and, and Hideaki Anno is really putting a lot of faith into Surumaki. In 1997, when he completed Neon Genesis Evangelion, he declared that, quote, Surumaki is next. Of course, as you said, this got waylaid, but that was mostly because Surumaki was really mulling over what this next project's going to be. He's given carte blanche. This is incredible. But he also is, I think, kind of hesitating in terms of what he wants that project to be. And Surumaki even said during the process of trying to figure all this stuff out, quote, there were times in the planning when things weren't going smoothly. Anno told me that you don't have to make something perfect that everyone will love. Just do what you want to create. And he said also, from the very start, I wanted a different flavor. To achieve this, I had to retrain the animators to be as stylized as I wanted them to be because I wasn't drawing it. I knew that not everyone would get it. I deliberately selected very obscure J-pop culture and anime subculture jokes and references. Because Ava was so somber, I always intended to make Fully Cooley outrageous and wacky. But also, he was taking a note from Neon Genesis Evangelion and how Hideaki Anno instilled his own life into the storytelling. Uh, Surumaki said this about Anno's protagonist from Evangelion. 
Shinji was modeled on director Hideaki Anno. Shinji was summoned by his father to ride a robot. Anno was summoned by Gainax to direct an animation. Working on Nadia, he wondered if he still wanted to work like this. He thought that working on Ava could help him to change. And so when asked about his own uh, storyline, the mecha bursting from Naota's head in Fully Cooley. I use a giant robot being created from the brain to represent Fully Cooley coming from my brain. The robot ravages the town around him, and the more intense I worked at Fully Cooley, the more I destroyed the peaceful atmosphere of Gainax. <laughs> and so I love this type of meta story storytelling of like, this is the story of our studio. This is what's happening right now. It, this chaos you're seeing, this is me unleashing my creative chaos onto these animators, these poor poor animators. Uh, as for the title, Suramaki said, I got the idea from a CD in a music magazine with the title Fully Cooley. I like the idea of titles that are shortened long English words. Pokemon for Pocket Monsters, for instance. And an old J-pop band called Brilliant Green that was known as Brilly Grilly. Uh, so yeah, the, the whole time, I think he's trying to Break the rules, especially in reaction to everything they went through making the Unjust Evangelion. It's like break the rules and have fun and bring this like bright, lighthearted silliness to an anime story all the way through and through to the very end. He definitely wanted a happy ending, too. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about blasting one out in a massage parlor. I'm saying that he <laughs> wanted there to be light and joy because if you know any, if you, you've been through the Neon Jesus Evangelion roller coaster ride, up until these more recent rebuild films, you don't, you always have this like just absolutely downer. Yeah, just like, I mean, it's beautiful and there's a certain positivity kind of in a macabre sense of like, it's tumbling down, tumbling down, tumbling exactly. down. Hey, look, we're all goo. <laughs> we're all turning to goo. Let's go. Uh, and there is something a little relieving about that, but yeah. Let's goo. <laughs> Let's goo indeed, Jake, as we go down the history of Gainax. Kazuya Surumaki said, I have a twisted sense of humor. I'm an Omanu Jaku, a contrarian. And you really get the sense of that in this work. And he even comments on the animation studio itself struggling with his direction and things. You know, there's that whole bit in the final episode where they're, they're like, we did a manga bit again. <laughs> that fucking animators told me not to do this, but I had to do it one more time. I mean, come on. He is a jokester for sure. He, he is a little puck in this studio. Oh, yeah. And it really continues to blow my mind. And like, this is one of the first big elements of, how this is so singular because so I feel like usually a guy like this does not get the keys to the car mm. and I think it took someone as cool as Hideaki Anno to allow for that to go down mm. I mean I don't think you would, would ever have this opportunity in pretty much any other anime studio oh yeah no I mean part of the reason why I feel like it didn't make that big of an impact in Japan is because uh, there is so much, like, Western stuff. There is so much... It is so, like, obsessed with the director's individual stuff. There's a bunch of clips from the uh, Japanese Blu-ray commentary with him where it's just, like, 
so why are we doing why was this a baseball themed episode and he just goes i think baseball's cool like yeah why is she riding a vespa i really liked the vespa that our character designer had for a while i thought it was really cool i like that because he was like i wanted one so if i create if i made them put it a vespa <laughs> into the show i'd get one right they'd have to buy me one yep that is exactly was actually it. a live action vespa at, during the credit sequence and even just cutting to like Weird, artsy, live-action stuff like that is very Evangelion, end of Evangelion, at least. At one point in the Blu-ray, they're like, uh, so why is there a South Park thing? And he just said, oh, the animation staff was really into South Park and wanted to do it. And I said, OK. Like, but that just goes back to that quote I said earlier. I think Hideaki Anno just telling him, it doesn't have to be perfect. Just make something you love. Just make something that you believe in and you think is cool. And and that's all that matters, you know? Mm-hmm. And I do love that approach. I think a, a lot of creatives deal with this. We get into trying to make money off of this thing. And you have to constantly revisit the concept of, Am I do am I making this art for me? Is this just an expression of myself, or am I trying to make something that I think other people would like to see? And I think you can go all different ways with that. I think some people are masters of creating things that will uh, audiences will love, mm-hmm. and they make it for them. And then other people are brilliant at just like Kazuya Suramaki, uh, brilliant at creating stuff j- just for them and it's so cool and their personality is so prevalent and on the on the screen for you that you can't help but kind of fall in love with it even if it's not made for you across america bp supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like updating turbines at one of our indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I want to temper, you know, no man is an island and, you know, it's 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 the great man of history theory is not always 100 percent uh it really is a a uh a group effort um the like really sexually tense stuff that happens is a direct result of the writer yoji and okido yes who um suramaki says like yeah i didn't really want like i it wasn't my intention to have all this like sex stuff in there but uh yoji always introduces like this kind of imagery and tension in his work He's worked on Rasafon. He's worked on Neon Genesis Evangelion and the um, rebuild movies. Like, you know, that was him kind of throwing his hat in the ring. And it definitely adds to the like gravity and the kind of like, oh shit, kind of energy of the work. And there's a bunch of young staff on Fully Cooly that like kind of go on to become great. Like, God, the studio trigger guy, Hiroyuki Imaishi was getting his start at Gainax on this production and so many of the shots and like hyper kinetic, but simplified forms that go on in the action scenes are a hallmark of his work. Stuff like kill a kill, little witch academia, 
Promare. Like, uh, you know, he's formed his entire existence on the techniques and energy that he kind of established with Fooly Cooly to the point where the legacy of Fooly Cooly does definitely live on in these other creators that have continued to make interesting work after even after they left Gynax. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, I have nothing else to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> the show is definitely, as we keep talking about, very splashy, to say the least, with a wild frenetic energy, not unlike the feeling of going through puberty and growing up. One example of this is in the animation is a jump to a style that makes one feel as if they're reading a manga. We brought it up before. Mm-hmm. It's in sped up time, which is something we see all the time now, but was totally novel for the year 2000. Kazuyasu Rumaki said, I like manga, not only to read, but the visuals, the pin drawings, the frame breakdowns and layouts. This is the first time I have used digital animation, and those bouncing manga shots wouldn't have been possible with cell animation. Personally, I'm not interested at all in using computers for realistic animation. I'm impressed by it sometimes, but I'm interested in using computers to do what was once possible, not to do smoother versions of what has already been done. I want to be less realistic. And apparently, Surumaki wanted to do this to make this otherwise just boring-ish scene of characters sitting around a dinner table talking. You just want to figure out a way to make it like way more exciting. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like that, you know, and I don't, I don't necessarily find these scenes super boring per se, but you know, every time you hear that in in yeah. Neon Evangelion and we see pin pin mm-hmm. and we're at home and we have this moment of levity, but what, it's is, also, what is she doing here? Right. Like it's literally yeah. like the, that first manga scene is literally the, what is she? doing here totally totally and we've seen it a lot yeah. and we 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 get it a lot even in neon jizzes so i think it was pretty fun that he was mouse like, to mouse let's fuck this up a little bit but of course as we already mentioned it was very difficult for the animators to pull off which i thought was such a fuck you when he did it in the last episode it was like yeah <laughs> and then called it out and yeah. then called it out in his own episode that i believe it's the dad is like mm. we should stop doing this this isn't gonna work and it's really cool too because the style as you watch during that sequence, the style goes from like really proper manga and it gets all scribbly and stuff mm-hmm. at the end and starts falling apart. Such cool little choices like that that just would run by you if you weren't paying super a lot of attention or, or, or seen it multiple times back to back. There's these amazing 360 shots in the in the episodes, especially episode one, I believe episode three has them where they actually took wireframe models and then overlaid that to like cell animate over it for this intensely smooth rotating 3D effect. And they go ahead and like right in the first episode cut to a trailer where all the characters are just like, man, I can't believe we had to stand still that long. It was like really tough. And they were like, what? And there's a big X being like, that's not how this works. It's it's really fucking fun. God, every single episode really comes to like there is order to the chaos in a way that I genuinely appreciate, you know, the uh, individual themes about like uh, confronting one's emotions, the baseball scene where it literally. Oh, my God, where it's about Naota kind of being shitty at Little League, which, again, every fucking nerd can appreciate that feeling of just like being scared of the ball and being a disappointment to your peers. Totally. And. The uh, just the overarching theme, like nothing will happen if you don't swing. Uh, and then it builds and builds and builds till he's literally saving the world as the pillows start chiming in with, I think I yeah. can, I think I can, I think. And it's just 
even in the chaos, even in the gibberish, there's just so many resonant themes that just like hit home again for the kind of lonely, bitter, weirdo kids that grew up watching anime. I'm kind of surprised I didn't see the the title Catcher in the Rye at any point in terms of an influence because there's also just like Catcher in the Rye has all these little touches all throughout it in terms of symbolism like mm-hmm. the the hat that he wears and when he was wearing it backwards it's like a catcher's hat and when he's wearing the hat forwards like with the ear flaps down he's blocking out the world like these are all little things we learned in you know English class when we read that mm-hmm. book for me it was in ninth grade right or like what the ducks symbolize the ducks that are always where do they head for the winter and all that kind of stuff there's all these little pieces like that and then well in, you don't need the specific references from catcher in the rye because it's all there in its own you know the in the first episode the idea of sour drinks unpleasant flavors uh-huh. spicy curry adult things that now it's and just, he likes the sour drink in the final episode right no Isn't he that? just chokes it down yeah oh, okay. and now he is, doesn't yeah. like overcarbonated beverages which i think suggests that he's no longer can that concerned about like trying to appear more mature than he is. He's just going to let it happen as it happens. But like, there's all these little symbolic indicators for Surumaki's work as well, such as the characters being left or right-handed. Mm. Naota and Mamimi are both right-handed and they're also incredibly flawed and immature. Haruko and Naota's brother are left-handed and they're also naturally gifted, independent, chill, carefree, of course, Surumaki is right-handed as well, saying, you know, he's putting himself in that same oh, if, position. Oh, the uh, symbolism that I needed explained to me are, like, we're all bombshells. Yeah. Uh, the the glyph that appears on Conti, the robot's head, when he is entering atomisk mode, is a confluence of the Ganji symbols for adulthood and maturity. Mm. Um, when Naota has it, he has, like, in the beginning, it's a childhood symbol on his head that then becomes a maturity symbol even the uh guitars the rickenbacker bass that haruka has uh has been interpreted as the idea that she's has the bass because she is not the focus she it is not her story uh-huh. she is establishing a base upon which naota can finally learn to wield the lead guitar which he does in the final episode and they spell this out actually in that final episode they really reference this but that giant iron shaped factory that looms over the town that is uh, owned by the evil corporation medical mechanica was quote making things the same making things smooth getting rid of unevenness that is making people like haruko with uneven personalities smooth by making everyone the same i want the iron to symbolize the power to make everyone boring human beings and i that really resonates with me and how I felt as a kid growing up in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I was just like, everybody just lives by the same code of reality here. And if you deviate from that at all, you're kind of considered weird or ostracized a little bit. And like, I, that's a big reason why I was like, I got to get out of here. I got to go to New York city where everything's Mm -hmm. wild and strange and crazy. Cause I want to embrace that aspect of myself and not try to smooth it out. Oh yeah. So I really loved that element of the show that, that, uh, that symbolic nod with the giant iron. Another thing watching now with the full understanding uh, of like anime, not full, but a better understanding of anime history is in the last episode when they're explaining how all the irons are going to smooth over the earth and smooth over the brains of the populace in order to create an more easily controlled uh, planet 
uh, it immediately mirrors, like almost note for note, uh, a shot that uh, Anno worked on on the Miyazaki film uh, Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind, where these giant bugs are also trampling the world. And it's like the same setting, the same idea, except instead of the bugs, it's the irons. And, you know, back then I would never have recognized it, let alone known like, ah, yes, that is Hideaki Anno. Uh, worked on that film and worked on that shot specifically. Like, that just went right over my head. Totally. I was just like, cool, <laughs> irons. <laughs> Another dumb fact, it's Suramaki's hand that it was uh, scanned and put into the anime nice. when it finally, like, becomes a human hand after it's done being a cool Clint Eastwood hand robot. Uh, another fun fact, Naota's cat is voiced by Hideaki Anno. He is uncredited, but that is him voicing the cat. Also, Haruko's visual design is based on shoujo manga artist Moyoko Anno, who has a very chic style. She is... Hideaki Anno's wife. Mm. So there you go. You've got a lot, and and he and she's written a lot of slice of life mm. uh, <laughs> mangas about living with Hideaki Anno, right? And, we, and what a insufferable weed he is. <laughs> and we talked about that for sure. I'm sorry, otaku. <laughs> what an insufferable otaku. He is. Yeah, there's just all these little little details that make this such a great dense fun show to revisit over and over again it's it definitely i feel like that i mean can you even describe the first experience of watching it it just washes over you you're just like what in the hell is happening right now you know it just is completely Mm -hmm. like just i think it's like you have to kind of let it just kind of envelop you like a blanket the first time around and then once you get past that viewing to revisit it again you can start picking these little things apart and finding all these little details in it. And that's what's so beautiful about it. I will say the plot is a lot easier to follow. What, like with all the context, with sure. everything, with rewatches, you know, the why are things coming out of his head? Why is he special? It's because there is a phenomenon in this universe called the N.O. Uh, barrier that exists in between a left and right brain. And it is strongest within like adolescent uh adolescence because they're on the verge of adulthood and coming to terms with their emotion uh haruko needs someone with a strong no presence in order to get atomisk out of a prison on earth in the iron atomisk but is, even that you're like it's so it's like this show's version of an at field yeah, like it you absolutely know, like yeah absolutely <laughs> um why is she talking to the cat because as established in other gynex animes like uh gunbuster and diebuster they use cats to communicate with the uh international or intergalactic space force like it's 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 very weird how a lot of the crazier things uh, in the plot of FLCL are direct references and carried over in the Gunbuster Diebuster mm-hmm. series to the point where it's like it it is almost canonically in the same universe and watching one will help you understand the other. Yeah, I, I have some quotes from Suramaki too, since we're already now talking again about the whole uh, theme of ch- children becoming adults and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I really love this perspective he has. Uh, he said, I don't believe all children will become grown-ups. They may get older, get taller, pay taxes, and get married, but there are people who will never become grown-up. 
According to Japanese law, you're considered a grown-up as soon as you turn 20. But this isn't the case. When I turned 20, I was still in front of the television, critically hitting metal slimes in the Dragon Quest I'd bought at a used (laughs) game store and resetting when I got frustrated. A real grown-up wouldn't have reset. Grown-ups don't have the luxury of resetting as they walk through life. And there's also a, a nod at this sentiment in the last episode of the series. Quote, kids who act like kids and don't pretend to be adults are actually more adult. Which I love mm-hmm. that quote so much. So let, me, let me repeat that because it's, it's, it's a little like a bit of a knot of a sentence. Kids who act like kids and don't pretend to be adults are actually more adult. I fucking think that is so brilliant because I do agree. I think kids trying to grow up too fast is such a childish thing or kids trying to act like more mature than they are trying to force or speed up that process are actually the more childish ones. And the ones who say, I'm going to enjoy this while I have this and stay in this for as long as I possibly can, because I'll never get this back ever again. And you have the rest of your life to be an adult. And Hey, PS, a lot of it sucks. So like, enjoy that time, you know, and I think that that's really brilliant. And, and this kind of comes across in the very end, in the very beginning of the episode, there's twice, I believe in the episode where he gets told our main character, he gets told, uh, you're acting like a kid and it's in two different contexts and it's referencing kind of that quote a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's like in the first one. He's, I think, trying to be, he's doing the thing. He's trying to be, pretend he's not a kid, and it comes off like he's acting like a kid. They say, stop acting like a kid, I think, something like that. And then in the end, he's, like, embracing the childishness, Mm. and he gets told to stop acting like a kid. Can we talk about the pillows? Yes, it's time. Let's get into it. Let's get into the pillows. The the, the other big section of my notes is definitely on, the the show is not, Fully Cooly is not Fully Cooly without the pillows. It, It just doesn't exist. Um, so yeah, uh, and that, that really was such a new approach at the time, which is kind of baffling to me now, because I mean, think about, you think about every popular anime opening closing is, is a badass rock and roll or like emo or like whatever Mm -hmm. it is, like type of song, you know, pop punk or something. So the pillows were just one of Kazuya's favorite bands at the time. So just following a line with the same, I'm just going to put shit I like into this thing. Mm-hmm. What it, uh, are Almost arbitrarily at times. They are a Japanese alternative rock group that formed in 1989 and since then released 22 studio albums. They were a group formed out of other groups. The bassist Kenji Ueda and drummer Shinichiro Sato left the group they were in, which was called Kinsey and the Trips, and joined up with vocalist Sawao uh, Yamanaka, who was in a band called the Coin Locker Babies. Mm-hmm. They end up forming the Pillows along with Yoshiaki Manbe, who was a guitarist in a hair metal band named Persia. Uh, then Kenji Ueda would leave after a couple of years due to disagreements, and Sawao Yamanaka took over as leader of the crew. Interestingly enough, they did replace Kenji, who was the bassist, who and the leader with a different bassist, but they never, they always credited it as like a guest in the band oh. out of respect for Kenji Ueda. Weird. Which is I interesting. I think that's maybe like a Japanese culture thing, but yeah, out of respect for him, they never formally replaced him. They always credited that of the other base, but I think it's been the same basis. I think the whole time. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a rotating chair. But they always credit as like a guest with the band, as opposed to like a full on member of the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so they got the name The Pillows from the title of a British post-punk compilation album for Cherry Red Records. It was titled Pillows and Prayers, and it was on, hanging up on the wall of uh, one of their apartments, and they just picked up on The Pillows. Uh, and actually, they were approached by Gynax. They had already put out eight studio albums that, by that time. Uh, the studio licensed the last three albums that they had put out for the music for Fully Coley. So the albums were Little Busters, Runner's High, and Happy Bivouac. A bivouac is a mobile colony of ants mm. that will travel from one nest site to another. And I think you can hear this in the sound if you go listen to them. They're I, very- I genuinely think it's – I feel like part of the bombshell holy shit moment – of watching Fooly Cooly mm. in America on Adult Swim at the time is very much how grungy yeah. and 90s alternative soaked the pillows are. Yes. Like when I started playing, in, I was driving to uh, the Seder. I'm a Jewish man. It was the holiday of Passover. I was, uh, I was like, I'm in the mood to listen to some pillows. I put it on, and when the first bars came on, uh, my lovely fiance Marie was like, are we listening to Weezer? Did you just put Weezer on? <laughs> uh-huh. Because the just that that '90s alt rock pedigree is just soaked in so. I much. I kind of feel like that's how ignorant we were back there. Was like I didn't even know they had bands like this in Japan. <laughs> you know, it's just. So I mean, shocking. it definitely was compared to uh, you know a lot of like goofy lol Japan. Like yeah, by the, around that time, the only Japanese music that wasn't like anime theme songs that I was listening to was like ya. Ta-ya, ta-ya, ta. <laughs> it's so easy, happy-go-lucky. <laughs> and at the time, again, we're in the early 2000s, so like the top, Billboard Top 100 is all, you know, rock and roll is Nickelback, is Creed, Eminem, Ashanti, Nelly. Like we are so removed from this era of alt-rock that like it hit like a nostalgia bomb that completely just resonates with the nostalgic themes that are already just like flooding this work. And so it's just woven so perfectly with the action where, you know, they'll, ch- uh, April, if you can hit like a, uh, some little busters, like right when the robot action is happening, like you are hyped to all hell when this music kicks in. I believe in an interview, it was the song uh, One Life, if I'm not mistaken, was the one that like they really wanted to put in the show. And it was Suramaki that was like, and we need an ending theme. Uh, if you can make one mm-hmm. and they submitted ride on shooting star, yes. which is incredibly different from one life. They were like, make us something like one life, which is a very heartfelt kind of ballady thing. Whereas ride on shooting star is kind of a weirdly appropriate mix of gibberish lyrics about snipers and spiders and, you know, just like kind of gung ho stuff. It was but- even unfinished uh, in its condition when they sent it over to them. It wasn't even completed, but yeah, they definitely just were like, hell yeah, let's go with it. I, I like just the constant. And now that opening riff, mm-hmm. that opening. Yep. Uh, April, don't play the whole song. Just give me that opening riff. Yeah, yeah. When at the end of the episode, every time it just like 
oh, it's a, it's a, it's a perfect climax. Yeah, I, it 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 really it's so synonymous with the show. It, it and I think that one of the coolest things about what happened for the pillows was just that the show hits the West in a way that not many animes have. And all of a sudden they're popular with an audience. They never thought they would ever break in with. I assumed they were the green day of Japan. Yeah, I thought yeah, they were no, like yeah. massive stars. And it turns out that was not the they case. Were even like there's a ton of great bands out here. We are so blessed. Like Yamanaka said, uh, who was the uh, vocalist. I love American rock. So I'll never forget the moment. The music I made was accepted in America until the day I die. I was so happy. That is so yeah, cool. It's, <laughs> it kept the band alive. Like they were, you know, they maybe peaked in like 50 on a Japanese top 100 chart yep. with like one of their albums. And this like completely secured their place. In 2005, they got to go on tour in America and they had big enthusiastic crowds waiting for them. How cool is that? Like that is so badass. And they would never have had that without Fully Coley. They were just so lucky to have just been one of Surabaki's f- favorite bands. That was that was it, and and uh, and, and I love stories like that. It's so so wonderful. Another song of theirs from the soundtrack that I just will always be burned into my heart is "Crazy Sunshine." Uh, it's just such a triumphant kind of victory lap of a song, and again, just the way that the musical hits are woven into the music. It feels you know again, this is Suramaki playing with these a lot of these are songs that were previously released so like it's like a it's like a high school kid making an amv but they also get to make the anime Uh around the music Mm -hmm. it's not just cutting uh lincoln park to naruto clips that make you cry it is it is such a it's so it's so singular and i think it works because Suramaki was such a fan of their music that, you know, it's what he's hearing in his head while he's setting these scenes up and they work perfectly because he gets to actually use the songs. Mm-hmm, totally. I mean, did did Fully Coley and even inspire that kind of stuff too? people creating those? Ty- I mean, was, was that existing before this? People putting together those kinds of like homemade music videos with like cool anime visuals like. Did Discovery, was Discovery already out and stuff like that? The uh, Daft Punk album visual? I don't know, but like the AMV has been around since Windows Movie Maker. It yeah. is, yeah, people were, I don't know, I bet it's, I think it even dates back to like VHS. Like it's, uh-huh, it's uh-huh. I mean, the ultimate AMV obviously is the opening to Malcolm in the Middle, uh-huh. but that's just a completely <laughs> separate one. Uh, yeah, but anyways, it's so fucking cool, and they are just such a great... I love that at least they got them for the sequel series and all that good stuff, which we're just about to get into. In fact, I think I have covered everything I have on uh, Fully Cooley. Is there anything else you want to throw in on the yes. OG series? The success of Fully Cooley in the West is a huge part of the story. It is why it is even still getting sequels. It's connection with the rise of Adult Swim is so completely and totally intertwined. And uh, part of it is the OVA format of it uh, allows them to just like drop a fully coolie block whenever they needed to like have a sure. special event or fill the schedule. So multiple generations of Toonami and Adult Swim fans got exposed to it in their own pace at their own time, exactly when they need it to be. And part of the reason why it, was so resonant besides the American culture references, stuff like the guitars and the basses and the cowboys and all this stuff. The grunge rock soundtrack, which was definitely uh, at least more familiar to an American audience than a J-pop soundtrack would be. 
is the work of the localizers. This was a uh, fairly fresh team that was brought together. A lot of like really new talents. The voice actress of Haruko is Kari Walgren, who has since gone on to, uh, I mean, she's the voice of Jessica in Rick and Morty, but she's been a fucking mainstay within the world of anime voice acting for a long time. But she is like a top tier voice actress that you hear everywhere. The voice of Naota is Barbara Goodson, who uh, other, whose other famous role is uh, <laughs> Rita Repulsa, <laughs> which I found very fascinating. If you if whenever you hear Naota like give one of his like little like I'm not a little kid like bellows, if you just train your ear right, you can actually hear. After ten thousand years, I'm free now <laughs> to conquer Earth. <laughs> and one of the things that like this cast really did was they were really working hand in hand, not just to get the mouth flaps right, but to get the intention behind things right, mm. to cover the energy. And um, Walgren's voice is so bratty and like nasally, just like the Japanese voice actress, which was another thing Suramaki did, that he didn't want Haruko to be another like milf lord like uh, Misato in FLCL. Like he didn't just want another like mature seductress to like burst into our young misanthropic protagonist's life. And uh, Walgren does a great job. The dubbing company was Sync Point, and this was one of their first productions. So they really wanted to hit it out of the park. They worked very closely with Production IG and Gynax to get things right. Suramaki actually came to the recording booth to like help direct things and like approve individual voice choices in a lot of ways. He actually prefers a couple of the American vocal performances to the Japanese one. Another person that was very integral was Maki Terashima, who worked uh, alongside the as an a, uh, in between the Japanese and American production companies. And there's tons of like very subtle but very needed localization choices, such as uh, there's a gag where the uh, dad's shitty bakery only sells Crystal Pepsi. Uh, which is a famously out-of-production drink. In the Japanese uh, original writing, it was a Japanese soda that was famously discontinued called Cheerio. Obviously, if they were like, huh, you still sell Cheerio, people would be like, what? Cereal? Like, what are you talking about? Japanese band references were replaced with American references. There's like all sorts of things that they were very meticulous about to localize while still keeping that like Japanese weeby nerdy thing alive. Like, you know, they didn't change the Lupin references, but they just did their best to, like, really deliver a uh, just quality localized dub product in a while we were still in an era where a lot of these places were just like Canadian uh, fucking slave labor mills just trying to crank out as much content as possible. Yeah, I kind of feel like is this one of the one of the strongest dubs in existence, like in terms of it anime? is definitely one of the most iconic dubs. Yeah. It is up there. People point to Fooly Cooly and uh, Cowboy Bebop in terms of like dubs where the dub is pretty much the definitive version. When And even Steve Bloom is in the mix in this one. But yeah, Carrie Walgren's performance as Haruko is one of the most legendary, iconic uh, dub performances in this era of anime. And like it was her first voice acting role. She had previously just done radio ads. She talks about how in interviews she wrapped up the final episode of Fooly Cooly and like 
went back to her like Los Angeles apartment hovel that she could barely afford with roommates and just cried on the floor because she was like, I don't know if this is going to work out right. I don't like that was intense. That was crazy. I'm barely getting paid enough for this. What am I doing? And the fact that she's gone on to have a success mm-hmm. in the industry That's awesome. is uh, very inspiring. But the dub was its own very uh, intentional and deliberate act. It was not just kind of done half-assedly like a lot of dubs were at the time. All right, let's get into it. Progressive and alternative. Back in the early 2010s, production IG purchases the rights to Fully Coley from Gynax. Now, to get so, to that, though... We've got some stumbles. There, there's definitely a show that could have been, in other words, that uh, didn't happen. Gynax was going to sell the rights to, was it, who? it was somebody connected so to Honor, right? So it was, uh, famously, Gynax, as we described, was not the most professional organization. It really was otakus just doing their otaku thing that happened to slip into a giant pile of money with uh, the success of Evangelion. And this resulted in, some uh, very famous tax evasion, actual crimes that some of the founders had to go to jail over. Um, there was also a hullabaloo with one of the founders being involved in a relationship with a 16-year-old that also threatened to jeopardize the entire company. And uh, famously, Hideaki Anno, uh would kind of just front money to keep the thing alive. And one of the stipulations or one of the unspoken Parts of this arrangement was that he should be able to get the rights back for stuff like Gunbuster and Fully Cooley and other things so that he could hold on to some of his earlier properties and earlier, like, beloved uh, stuff. And it was always kind of this weird betrayal that um, the rights to Fully Cooley and other stuff went to Production IG instead. Uh, Production IG is a legendary anime production house. They helped, you know, they did work on the original Fooly Cooly, but like it, they are not the most, I don't know, uh, bespoke art house uh, kind of thing. They are like a serious production factory responsible for, uh, you know, dozens of famous franchises and shows and movies. Like they're not as like, I guess, whimsical as other places. And it was actually Maki Terashima, who, uh, again, worked on the dub on the original one as a liaison, who got hired as the uh, sole employee of Production IG's American branch. Uh, Her title at the time was vice president, but in interviews she was like, no, I'm it. I am, like, I'm it for Production IG America. And she had always wanted to get a sequel to Fooly Cooly Made. You know, she's in the American anime industry, She sees the merchandise sales. She sees the cosplay. She knows firsthand just how big of a hit this was. And uh, she never really got anywhere. She talked to uh, Tsurumaki, who said, like, no, I'm pretty much done with it. It's, you know, the story of Naota. And I pretty, you know, I kind of told everything I needed to tell. Like you said, he was like, if you're going to do it, have a new group of people make their own crazy thing. Yeah, here, I've got the quote actually right here from him. Look, what you guys need to do is find the next generation of young people who have their own thing to say, who maybe haven't heard of Fully Cooley, or maybe they have, but they're not afraid of telling their own version of this story, and just let go of the shackles of my version of this story, because that's the only way that it's going to stay true to the spirit of Fully Cooley, which I totally agree with. Yeah. I, I think that was a brilliant 
decision on his part that I feel like was not followed. So uh, Maki Terashima, in a behind-the-scenes documentary uh, about the production of uh, Progressive and Alternative, um, basically said, now that I knew that Production IG had the rights and I worked for Production IG, the first thing I did was go up to Adult Swim and said, we can make a sequel to Fooly Cooly. Uh, Jason DeMarco, who is a huge figure in the history of Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, and Toonami, and he's a he is a great guy on Twitter. He's fun to follow. Immediately leapt at the chance because Fully Cooley, again, as a fan, resonated with him deeply as someone invested in the history of Adult Swim, in the history of Toonami, knows what a landmark kind of event Fully Cooley was for the uh, brand. Immediately says okay, and they get to work with Production IG, and uh, they produce two seasons. One, uh, Fully Cooley Progressive, which is kind of a sequel um, that kind of talks about uh, a new protagonist, this girl with like cat ear headphones, and Haruko is back at it again, trying to uh, find and contain the power of Atomisk yep. and Alternative, which is kind of this. Uh, K-On style foursome cute girl slice of life thing where it's kind of an alternate version where Haruko comes in as more of a teacherly mentor figure that helps them with their day-to-day struggles while also Medical Mechanica is trying to destroy the world and there's big robots coming out of heads that are activated by intense emotions. The pillows come back for both series using a lot of the audio cues from the original series, but they also have newer songs that they throw in the uh, soundtrack. In fact, uh, if there's one thing that these uh, sequel series really I'm thankful for, it's introducing me to the song Thank You, My Twilight. This is the full-on cool version, a re-recording of a 2002 Mm -hmm. Pillow song that has this amazing, like, uh, lo-fi digital uh, synth hook in the beginning, and then it just builds into one of the best grunge ballads I've heard in years Um April, close us out on Thank You, My Twilight, when we're done with everything, because it's such a great song to end everything on. Yeah, also, April, hit it! Fuck! Here, here, here we go! He's the leader of the bunch, you know him well. He's finally back to kick some Coconut gun, motherfucker. As featured in the hit movie. Yeah, I can't believe it, dude. We conjured it real. By the way, all my DK rap fans out there who got it into the movie, thank you for writing those letters in. (laughs) Thank you for for harassing. I heard there were death threats involved and all Mm -hmm. sorts of stuff. So thank you for being rude and crude. You're a bunch of cool ass dudes. Anyways, back to you, Jake, and back to us. And uh, thank you for Seth Rogen for agreeing (laughs) with me that the rap is one of the worst things ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's getting some death threats, allegedly. I don't want to get anybody in trouble or anything, but... uh, uh, you know, we got to do what we got to do. Holden, what is that box behind you that says death threats <laughs> to Seth Rogen? death threats. With Seth Rogen, I guess his address is written on there, but it just says Seth Rogen's house. It doesn't have an address. Look, Jake, all I'm saying is I'm an idiot and I'll never be smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess, I guess, Jake, all this said, I mean, what's your takeaway from from the the series? Like One of the things that I feel like was the most um, damning of these sequels is the fact that they came out in like 2016 yeah, and nobody I knew ever even like talked about it. I remember there being a little bit of hype around the idea that they were coming out Mm -hmm. and then it kind of went, it was like a splashy headline on a, you know, nerdy 
uh, media website, mm. you know? Supposedly, Suramaki was a supervisor, or at least had some semblance of, like, overseeing. Yes. But it was a completely new staff, and it's just... It's just not the same because they're produced like regular anime. Like, there's a lot less consideration. Every shot is not its own unique miracle. Um, it's a more continuous story, less so than the kind of vignettes that uh, take hold of everything. And especially progressive is just a bit derivative, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's not, it's funny that it's the one that's called progressive, it doesn't feel like it is very progressive for what it should be, yeah, right? The monster designs aren't as cool. The fight scenes aren't as cool. They're, they do a couple of unique animation twists, but nowhere near with the, like, rapidity and jarringness of uh, the original. And I think it's the difference between um, a bespoke OVA passion project versus, you know, Production IG makes a lot of anime. And uh, even just the anime industry as a whole, has completely shifted from a group of tight-knit people into a, in a studio to a lot of outsourcing, to a lot of, like, uh, do-it-fast, do-it-cheaper productions. And while it is nice to see Haruko again, and it's nice to hear Kari Walgren again, uh, it just doesn't hit the same. And all of this is to say it's not bad. No. Progressive and alternative are, in fact, really endearing and have their own strengths. It's just when you're saying, here's more Fooly Cooly, you can't help but be disappointed. Um, Alternative has its own fun energy with the uh, female protagonists, uh, the foursome of girls. There's like a nice emotional uh, twist around episode five that really right. hits hard that I really appreciated. But it really just feels like this was just another job yeah. on production IG's schedule to pay the bills than the singular work of like young crazy weirdos given uh time and budget and fancy new equipment to like really explore all of their bullshit it's like a little it's too much production ig and not enough gynax and i mean i think one of the things we haven't even we didn't really mention is the fact that there was this competitive nature to the work in its original form and production ig and uh, Gynax were kind of going head to head in terms of who could outdo each other in terms of animation sequences and stuff like that as well. Mm -hmm. So removing that element also fucks with it a little bit. They got it back a little bit in Progressive, at least. There was a different director for every episode, so there was a little bit of that vibe. Um, Alternative is all one director, actually, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. But And then you have this, you know, which I agree with, but it just is another sign of how, like, this isn't really the direction they should go in with Fully Cooley in an overall sense. They reined in the sexuality quite a bit to conform to the times. Adult Swim uh, creative director Jason DeMarco said, we're a little more tame than the original was because I think that social mores are different now. Obviously, it's 17 years later, and what was appropriate for an adult woman to be doing to an adolescent boy on screen is less so now. And I actually think that is fine. But also, when we're talking about Fully Cooley, and you're using the phrase reined it in, mm -hmm. it's not really the vibe. You know? I mean, one of the smartest things they could have done is to focus on female protagonists. Yeah. Because girlhood 
is its own incredibly yeah. fraught, unique nightmare zone right. that has its own insane web of conflicting emotions and horrors and traumas to process. They're like women are like horrifying spider people. Like I don't even understand. You know what I mean? They're just yes. they just they, they just kill they kill they attack and they kill. But like alternative is like really it kind of just boils down to the power of friendship a lot of the times. <laughs> it's like it just doesn't feel as deep. Where And it doesn't feel like it's pushing boundaries as much. Yeah. But it's, again, I really have to say, I've watched a lot of bad anime, and neither of these are truly bad anime. It's just when you're when you're trying to follow up the Citizen Kane of anime, yeah. you're going to just, like, really have to put in the time and effort and care. And, like, it's not just something that you can tell a production company, go ahead and make this. But wait. There's more. In 2022, Adult Swim announced more seasons of Fully Cooly titled Grunge and Shoegaze, each respectively. That's two different seasons. There is a 10-second teaser for Grunge that hints it will be done in 3D animation, mm-hmm. which will be another departure in terms of what the original was. We'll see. I mean, maybe they can get there. Maybe they can find it. But I think uh, we're yeah. entering a very interesting point with 3D animation, with stuff like Into the Spider-Verse and the uh, brand new Trigon series which is incredible visually and like really pushes the limits of what you can do with anime with cg um that if they embrace that same experimental kind of uh everything in the kitchen sink insanity in ways that we never really saw in cg before i think there is a lot of potential there totally agreed i we'll see i i like the names shoegaze that's a great title for a season and grunge you know uh shoegaze is the type of music people refer to when it comes to like my bloody valentine and stuff like that like really heavy kind of wall of sound like uh, experimental rock and roll type stuff and they call it that because people are always staring at their feet because they have so many different uh, effects pedals <laughs> that's why they call it shoegaze because the, the the guitarist is always up there just staring down at their feet while they're like changing <laughs> like clicking all these different like effects pedals uh we'll see but regardless i have such a reverence for the original and it was a blast getting to revisit it this week and figure out just how these are always a fun one because you're like how in hell was this able to occur like there's just it is such a unique time and place with Gainax and Hideaki Anno and 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 the this protege there's no way you know this just happens on the reg and it's cool to see uh, something excel like that because a lot of times something like that fails or doesn't quite meet the expectation or whatever and this super exceeded it so fully coolly I love you and you can watch every episode of the original if you have Hulu right now um so if you want to see it on a streamer and they have ev- the subs and the dubs for for each episode so definitely consume it it will it will take you Two days tops to enjoy uh, all of Fully Cooly if you haven't checked it out before. And thank you for enjoying our episode of Fully Cooly. If you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. That's patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. You get for $5 a month weekly bonus episodes, ad-free episodes of these main feed shows. And uh, for $15 a month, you get to join us on our Discord Sunday study session where we cover whatever we're covering. This time we watched a bunch of episodes. We watched almost all of Fully Cooly <laughs> in our last one. So, uh, yeah, it's a good time, man. Um, again, that's patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Uh, if you want to check me out, I stream five days a week 
over on Twitch. Always love to see Wizard of the Bruiser folks pop in. I've had some new ones this week. Pretty much every week, we have at least a couple people pop in and say, hey, love the show, and I love to hear it. So come, come join me, twitch.tv forward slash HoldenatorsHo, uh, Monday through Friday streams. Jake? Uh, follow me on Twitter, at BestJakeYoung, and Instagram, at BestJakeYoung. Uh, I share my latest research, bips, bobbles, and observations, so it helps uh, give you a preview of what's going to show up in the podcast. And uh, hey, I also do a little streamy thing. It's Puppet Jared's Cartoon Dumpster. Uh, my animated avatar, Puppet Jared, uh, showcases the weirdest cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Anything so derelict that it won't trigger YouTube's copyright ID uh, concept. Uh, it's like your favorite Saturday morning cartoon block meets Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's always a good hang. Thursdays, 7 p.m. Eastern, twitch.tv slash puppetjared or youtube.com slash puppetjared. Hell yeah, and always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio... And producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.